Hello, hello. If you haven't signed up for a Discord channel, please do so at majordomomedia.com. There's a link that will take you to our Discord community. Lots of uh, funny-ass content. We have wonderful members. And it's going to be a critical piece of all things Major Domo Media uh, moving forward. So again, thank you to everyone that's joined and participating. And if you haven't signed up yet, what are you waiting for? Uh, all things Momofuku, please visit us at shop.momofuku.com for your pantry items we developed in the lab many years ago, and it's now available at your home kitchen. And our air dry noodles, uh, Chili Crunch, we have a whole bunch of products available for you at Target, Whole Foods, a few other stores nationwide. And if you're not close to any of those, visit us at shop.momofuku.com. And our good friends at Any Day. This is a product that we've talked a lot about over the past couple of years, something that I work very closely with on the team. Chris Ying is a convert as well. How did you use to microwave before, Chris Ying? <laughs> just wrap some plastic and more plastic and <laughs> throw really? it in there and just try to get cancer. Yes, plastic is what is wrong. And all of these people I see on TikTok now using the microwave, wrong. They are doing it wrong. They need to be using it in a, the only microwave vessel that is actually glass, silicone, and metal. All of the, o- the only materials that are microwave safe. Here's an idea, Chris. I was talking with Steph and the team at any day. Guess what? I have 10% off discount code for all any day purchases. Ooh. If you visit cookanyday.com, that's cookanyday.com, one word, and you type in this code, you'll get 10% off. You know where you're going to find the code? You know where you're going to find the code? Just like the back of a bathroom stall somewhere in the San Gabriel Valley. You're going to find it in our Discord channel. Oh, yeah. Incentive. Incentive. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> We're going to have a list of codes to all the companies and products that we work with. A nice little reward for our Just Discord for community. the Discorders. I love it. Well, you know, all you have to do is sign up for Discord and then you'll find out what the code is. Right. But wait, Dave, how much is a Discord subscription? Am I really going to be saving money? It's free. (laughs) (laughs) And you can join the growing list of members that complain about the free content. Not everybody, but you know, some of you motherfuckers are real complainers. Yeah. Free airing of grievances and a discount on products that we uh, support and work with. Unbelievable. What they don't know is I'm going to show up at their work (laughs) and complain (laughs) with their bosses about their performance as well. They don't know this. But this is like Westworld. We're collecting all the data. (laughs) Just to use it right. I mean, we're not. I mean, that's not why you should have the Discord. He's not going to show up at your work. Join yes. the Discord. There are nice people on there. There are hilarious people. And there is ample opportunity to talk shit about Dave, myself, everything. All right. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging. I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just 
once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. Show part of the Ringer Podcast Network, presented by Major Domo Media. Thank you, Ola Tingo, as always. We have an interview with someone I'm going to put up there as one of the most interesting people in the world, the most interesting man in the world. Move over, Dosekis man, Kieran Jethwa, a chef, TV host, producer of his own TV shows as well. He's based out of Nairobi, Kenya. You know, we were looking long and hard for a host for the show we just released on Hulu, Chef vs. Wild. And uh, I got to tell you, I feel extremely happy that we were blessed that Kieran decided to be the host for the show because, number one, you have to have some kind of street cred. He knows how to actually like cook and hunt and fish and do things in the wild, in the bush, way more than myself and Chris Yang. And uh, I hope this is the first of many things we get to do with Kieran. And and Chris and I are going to have to plan a trip to Nairobi, Kenya to have some ostrich. Did you see that video of him cooking yeah, a whole man. ostrich? <laughs> Dude is amazing. We got to go see this guy in his element. Can, can we also just say for a second, Dave, can we talk about this for one second? Chefs for a while. I mean, you, you have a, we have an interview with him that you did. But I, I just wanted to emphasize the end. Have you been talking to friends who have seen this show? Because like everybody I know has been texting me about this, and I feel compelled to tell them like I don't think people get how hard it was for these contestants. <laughs> like they had no sleeping bags, they built their own shelters, they ate what they found. Well, this wasn't easy to make in the sense that clearly the shooting of it was difficult, but also the fact that it's never been done before legitimately made it difficult because we're trying to take a lot of the survival elements you see in a TV show merging it with an actual culinary competition show. So this is our first season, guys. Bear with us. This is just what we do. We try to get better the more opportunities we get. Yes. It's just like Dave said, we're, we're striking a balance. Anyway, I think the show is is amazing. The one thing that we're not going to get an upgrade on is Kieran. Man, that guy, that guy is amazing. Um, no, I'm really proud of the show. I'm glad that everyone likes it. And yeah, I, I, I'm really hoping we have another opportunity to make this show better and i think kieran has a lot of great ideas as do i and um you know we're gonna have chris and dave enter and one of us leave that's gonna be putting it out there and it's gonna happen and then you and i are gonna be real sad when it actually happens there's no there's there's no going home for one of us (laughs) so uh, i met up with chris the past weekend we did two things we went to all the Alhambra farmer's market. I still love seeing Chris sweat before he even did anything. <laughs> Just was sweating from being alive, chasing the kids around a farmer's market. But oh my God, what a, what a revelation. The Alhambra farmer's market. I, see, nobody talks about this. I don't think that it gets enough credit. You're not going to read it. Well, actually, that's not true. You will probably read about it in some national magazine and somebody will do a deep dive on some farmer 
I'm just throwing it out there. The next 24 months, there's going to be some big article about the the Asianness, the Chineseness, the Southeast Asianness of the Alhambra farmers market. It's a yeah, wonderful so let's, place. Let's, ex- let's explain Alhambra just really quickly. So Alhambra is in the San Gabriel Valley, which we talk about all the time. The San Gabriel Valley is where you have like the heaviest concentration of Chinese population in LA. Alhambra itself is like majority Asian and uh, Hispanic or Latino. And this farmer's market, like you're saying, is like does not get listed as the cool LA farmer's market. And I had never been. Dave, Dave and his family uh, met up with my family at you know 9.30 in the morning. We got there a little earlier than him. And I was like, is this okay to say like, this is the <laughs> most Chinese market I've ever seen, like outside mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. China. It's just very, very, very Chinese. Like, I don't know, Dave, like, what is it? Like, you go up to one stand and there's just 40 different leaves of various, I'll be honest, you know, shoots. Shit, I and, don't know how to cook. No idea whatsoever. I don't know what the fuck it is. And I'm too embarrassed to ask. And it all looks awesome. I wish I knew what it was. I just, I mean, you see like the grannies like picking over and figuring out which one they want, which squash leaf they want, which shoots they want. And you're like, God damn, I wish I had that knowledge. I love the Alhambra's farmer's market. It is my favorite farmer's market because it's just unapologetically fucking Asian. So Asian. All of like the food hmm. vendors why are do, Asian. Why, why, do, why does the food we did not talk about it so much? Hmm. <laughs> Let's think about this. Let's think about this long and hard. What hmm. could possibly be the barrier to entry? I don't I know. don't understand. Is it because it's too far east? <laughs> hmm. Yeah, must be it. Hmm. Must be it. It's a wonderful place. And I we got there a little late. I was on a I was on a leadership call with Marsha Goldsmith that ran long and I was getting some, you know, some leadership kidney punches. And some <laughs> you look softened like you up. have been put through the ringer a little yeah, bit. A yeah, little yeah. bit of criticism. Good old Marshall. From- Gave it to me good. So running a little late. Chris was at 85 degrees. Wonderful bakery. So good. Yeah, I snuck a couple of jalapeno cream cheese rolls in my tum-tum before I saw you. I didn't tell you that, but I definitely I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. That's why you're sweaty. <laughs> spicy. Le- legit spicy. Ah, another wonderful part of the San Gabriel Valley. 85 degrees. But we got there a little late. So usually I try to get there right after Hugo's breakfast. So I try to get to like 8.15, get the first crack at the market. There usually is a fish market there that ha- you never know what you're going to get there. Sometimes you get rock crabs. Sometimes you get spot prawns. Sometimes you get really nice black cod. But if you go there later, it is slim pickings. Slim pickings in general, because in about 90 minutes from the moment it opens, in about 90 minutes, if you get there a little later, you're like, What's so special about Alhambra Farmers Market? <laughs> that is a hundred percent true. We, we when we got there, we got there. By the time we left, if I had gotten there at the time I left, I'd be like, "Man, eh, this market kind of sucks." But when I got there, I was like, "This is amazing!" <laughs> but like, you got to get there pretty early. You got to you got to get there because the grandmas they're going to cut you to get what yeah. you, they want. <laughs> <laughs> they don't got shit to do early, man. They are there. You got to wake up pretty early to beat the grannies. There are there are, the, the only thing to say I would say this too like it's the it's actually the same thing in San Francisco like the farmers market everyone talks about is the ferry building obviously right and you got the Berkeley one as well but in my experience there's an Alamany farmers market and there's a Civic Center farmers market that are like very very Asian and to be honest with you way better 
Way like better. that's the thing is this happens everywhere. They don't get the attention, but like that shit's there's better. a couple vendors that grow strawberries that are just as good as Harry's berries. I, I'll say that markets in general, the the La Cunada farmers market is fantastic. The South Pasadena farmers market is fantastic, but Santa Monica, as fantastic as it is, and I think it's amazing. There's really a lot of love that needs to go around. Um, after the farmers market. I haven't had hot pot. I actually, that's not true. I, I snuck in hot pot once. Remember that that lull in COVID before Delta happened? Not yeah, Delta. Yeah, no, glorious. after Delta. No, wait, before Delta? Before Delta. No, there was a lull before Delta, and then there was a lull between Delta. The smaller <laughs> Omicron, Omicron happened right after Delta, pretty much, right? Right. But there was like that sweet COVID summer where there was like oh, six Everyone weeks or eight weeks. Everyone got their the vaccine, and it was the summer of love. But it really wasn't. It was about 24 days of <laughs> 24 days of anxious, <laughs> anxious love. Just, you know, Were you snuck a little hot pot during that. Period? I snuck in a little hot pot. I didn't hot do pot it. is um, when I lived in New York, I would say it was a once on average, about once a month dinner. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I didn't know that you did hot pot. I, that I often. loved hot pot. I loved um, uh, the Mala project as a dry hot pot. I liked that a lot. But hot pot sort of became the boom because of the Sichuan influx as well. I think that hot pot shops opened up all over the place. I think it got a little dinged with COVID. It wasn't necessarily the most COVID friendly food, <laughs> right? But it's back. It's back. Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. uh, Heidi Lau. For those that don't know, is actually like a bigger Chipotle. Actually, in terms of market cap value, that's what's amazing. And that's how huge China is that you could have a hot pot restaurant group that is basically the Chinese version of Chipotle. <laughs> and it's awesome. Yeah. And I'm Chris had never right been. Now. I had never been. I'm looking at the Wikipedia 1,600 locations, 60,000 employees. They've biggest hot pot chain i had never been to this mm-hmm. chain before there's got to be a good number in the states but this one was in the uh santa anita mall which again another amazing place we got to talk about later i, I, like, I literally just yeah. learned from you i was today years old when i realized oh my god the horse racing is right here too <laughs> i know i mentioned to the i mentioned this to him because he's like oh i come here all the time to eat there's all these amazing restaurants in this mall that's actually where i did my wetzels versus auntie ann's uh pretzel off and how many wetzels and how many auntie ann's are there in this mall? (laughs) there's two wetzels and two auntie ann's in one mall and then an incursion a marvel universe incursion (laughs) is happening (laughs) dr strange where are you (laughs) and i i said to dave you know the, the racetrack's right here and his eyes lit up <laughs> he was like wait you're telling me next to my favorite place i can also mm. gamble <laughs> my freshman year at trinity college we used to go to the this is not uh appropriate anymore the greyhound races racetrack mm. Mm. but we also went to the high lie that's how crazy hard for connecticut is fucking had high lie in there Highlight is so fun to watch. Highlight had its like heyday in like the cocaine Miami eighties, right? But like then nobody caught on. But there's a highlight highlight courts in Hartford that should tell you a little about the mob <laughs> element in Hartford, Connecticut, <laughs> and the link to Miami, Florida. <laughs> Truth be told, I saw one of my best concerts of my life. George Clinton played at the Hartford Highlight Center. 
Yeah. <laughs> Follow insane. the Funkadelic. That's insane. I, I promptly <laughs> passed out like five songs in. <laughs> hard and hard to do when your head's like near the front speaker. But I did it. <laughs> well, you were just so tired from studying for finals. So tired when my body shut down from the competing elements that was <laughs> introduced to it. Um, but Heidi Lau. Heidi Lau. It oh my God. was so good, right? Well, we were there with, like I said, both of our whole families, which is a challenge unto itself, right? And your mother-in-law, right? and I thought that was a stretch because... Uh, <laughs> I was I was not thinking that it was going to be her cup of tea. Well, I thought we were, so, okay. I thought we were like uh, maybe we should go to Hillstones or Houston's. <laughs> As we were walking around the uh, Alhambra fa- Farmers Market, I almost said Fantasy Market. Dave whispers to me, he's like, "Is your mother-in-law going to be okay with hot pot?" And I was like, hey, "Don't worry about it; it's fine." <laughs> but like, but when you get there, that's one of the amazing things about this restaurant, though, Dave. I didn't realize this is how it's set up. Everybody has their own little built-in burner, and you order your own little tub of broth. Can I just... I really made mistakes. I really made mistakes. I mean, I tried to open up a lot of different kinds of restaurants, but this is the one where I have the most regret that I didn't do, because it's all trickery. It's all... You do the cooking. You get up, and you get your ingredients. Right. You order everything from a tablet. And I, I don't know. I don't know. I, that's the kind of restaurant that is where I don't know what happened. I didn't see how food got dropped. I didn't talk to anybody. <laughs> I have to. I do have to. I do have to correct you, though. We did see one person in a service. Uh, uh, we did see one service professional go above and beyond when you made a final noodle order. Mm. Because you can order the Heidi Loud noodles and you get dinner and a show. You get this the is, full this is, noodle. This was my dance. full test. This was my full test. This is a, I tested a hypothesis that Heidi Lau and Hot Pot is actually a very good place to bring your children. And I think I, I passed my dissertation. I think I'm going to get my PhD in food science. It was amazing for children. I would never have guessed that a restaurant that specializes in extremely pungent, spicy broths and hot, literally hot pots at every station around the table would be maybe the best restaurant to take my kids I've ever been to. Not only that, nobody, no, there's no crying. Everybody was engaged with their food. And my favorite, very little conversation. Yeah, this is the thing. Almost none. Almost no conversation because it was that perfect pace of like the food's coming out. The food's coming out. You got to, you got to cook it. You pass it around. You pass, you're passing, you know, here comes the meat, here comes the, the vegetables, the mushrooms, the rice cakes, you're passing around the table and then you're cooking them. You're occupied the whole time cooking and eating and just slurping. And getting and, up and you're engaging with the, the, basically the salad bar, which is a sauce bar. And you're, Chris has come back with, Chinese candy he hasn't had in years, and <laughs> it was un- it was like a- I couldn't even believe it. It was just it was it was the sauce bar. <sighs> I don't even know where to start. Like oh my god, best salsa bar ever. Like you just go, you walk around with your little tub, your little ramekin, you make your own sauce. Oh my this god, is the, whatever this is, that like. Listen, this is no different than most hot pot places. All right, it's very similar, but it's just what it's done at a level that is like uh, they're just pros. The very it's a very well oiled machine. 
it's an amazing place to bring kids. They have right off, all ready to go, a kid's set meal that keeps them occupied. They got this mango bow thing with a pig pig face on it. <laughs> it's an adorable little bow that looks a like a yogurt. pig. They got dinosaur-shaped chicken nuggets with ketchup. <laughs> I was like, these motherfuckers are ninjas. They know exactly what needs to be done to have them shut the fuck up so the adults can eat whatever the fuck they want to eat. It's unbelievable. The only thing I noticed on those kids, so these kids' plates are so perfect. They come out. You know know what I noticed too, Chang, is like, so everybody has their little hot pot stove and they they slot the hot pot broth into it. The kids' bento thing also fits into those little holes mm-hmm. perfectly. Mm-hmm. It's got three compartments. It's got the cute little pork uh, pig pig shaped bun. It's got your chicken dino nuggets. The one thing that I thought was <laughs> insane was it also has two raw cherry tomatoes per child. Yes. <laughs> I was like, no child's eating this. What are you doing? <laughs> Don't waste these tomatoes. And another thing that happened, Chris brought up is his son Keith likes touching everything when they go to the bathroom. Oh my God. There's something about little boys. I don't know if little girls, but little boys that like touching the front of a to- toilet or urinal, like the, the the front bit, the front, the apex part of the urinal that catches all the the dribble. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> but, aka what Dave defined as the worst part of the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> Bathrooms are the bathrooms are very clean at Heidi Lau. They're very well maintained. They have like mouthwash and toothbrushes. Yeah, <laughs> like it's crazy. But like, but no matter what, you, kids like touching that front part of the toilet. <laughs> and here's the mistake I make for a quick dad fail. I always think like, okay, I'm gonna take my kid to the bathroom, and you know what? I'll use this opportunity to use the bathroom myself. There's a mistake. You can't you can't use the bathroom on the same visit. So today. It was my in-laws. They've been down because they've been helping us watch the kids. We took them to um, Parks Barbecue. You know what Hugo did today? What? I was thinking to myself, my son would never do what Keith did and just grab the front of the urinal. (laughs) No. My son did something, just uh, unlocked a whole new achievement. Oh, no. We went to Parks. It was an amazing meal. But Hugo wanted to go to the bathroom before we left. And they have a low urinal. He goes, oh, no. my size. He goes, my size. Uh-huh. Immediately, he's, he's stoked because it's a very low urinal. And he goes, Appa, what's that? And he sees the... the, the urinal cake. The, you know, it's not a urinal cake. It's the, it is a cake, but it's the one that has like rubber rubber. Oh, it's like the spikes. little mat thing that's in the there. Real, yeah, the yeah. mat. <laughs> right. The anti-splash mat, basically. <laughs> no. No, don't say it. What's that? I said, no, 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 no. And he goes, <laughs> oh, no, oh, no, no, full hand into the urinal. Oh, oh, oh Lord. <laughs> That's so nasty, man. <laughs> and your heart just sinks into the floor. It's the worst feeling in the world. Yep. And then, Even and then, like and a- then to like, Wash your kids' hands once successfully is difficult, but then to do it three times, <laughs> yeah, it's insane. That was that's that that's what happened today. Um, before we get into the Karen thing, can you just I, I just want we, we we should talk for two more seconds about Heidi Lau and hot pot in general because what you just said about like the trickery is amazing. It's not just like cook your own food, but it's also like no the whole, it's a genius model. Let's just say we ordered. Um, 
pork belly or sirloin. Reality is you're probably getting two and a half ounces, three ounces. If that. If that. that. Because it's sliced as thin as possible and sheeted out on one tray. So it looks like a lot. A lot of it surface looks area. Beautiful, looks impressive. It's a whole sheet of meat. Yeah, you get, <laughs> but you it's get like right, rice cakes. So like, you get instant noodles for noodles, right? And they just give you a block that's three ninety five. Right. Street value. Ten. Eighteen cents. Eight cents. Eight. <laughs> six cents. Five cents. Five to eight cents. Somewhere between five and eight cents. <laughs> right. But you are more than just like you're more than happy to do the tip. You're more than you're like three ninety five. Oh yeah, whatever. Uh, More than happy to pay vermi- that. Ver- a handful of par-cooked vermicelli <laughs> noodles, four ninety-five. Right. I look at honest, that. Honest street value, less than a penny. Less than a penny. <laughs> like, not even. But the but that's one, the thing, man. One yawn. One yawn. <laughs> one RMB. One RMB. RMB. One RMB. But this is the reason why I think we're you're you're happy to like overpaid the gratuity you're happy in general at this meal is like the value translation to from that like less than a penny one rmb amount of vermicelli noodles the happiness is exponential like everyone's so happy to be eating this and it's exciting leaves of cabbage sliced into you pieces. know they give you they give you two options half or portion <laughs> the half is 4.95 for three fucking leaves, but wait, made okay, so fan out to make it look like it's a lot of volume. The full portion is eight ninety five, and I'm like, dude, That's I could insane. have bought eight heads of cabbage. The first thing, like you did, Dave did all the ordering, and the first cup of cabbage that came out, I was like, is this like a garnish? What? There's three yeah. leaves of cabbage in here. <laughs> Three leaves, and you know all the little smaller bits of cabbage that nobody ever uses? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's like when you start chopping something, whether it's endive or anything like that kind of vegetable, you get that little nub center. You know what yeah. they put on the bot- the base of this fucking bowl? <laughs> that shit. Just to bulk it up, to just fluff it up. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, mad respect. I appreciate the hustle. Oh, I just, I, I admire the fucking hustle, man. I just think it's a beautiful thing because <laughs> it's, it's, it's just beautiful. I, I'm just happy that somebody can get away with it. One of their signature dishes or items you can get is the potato. Mm. <laughs> it's, it's half a potato. <laughs> Wait, but describe how it arrives. <laughs> it is fanned out. Shaped like thin. it's a like a noma flower. <laughs> There's literally flowers on it. If There's I, flowers if on it. Serves. It looks like it would be a charger plate at noma, right? <laughs> I mean, it arrived, and I was like, <laughs> "This is actually how it happened, Dave." It ha- it came out. It was like dramatically plated. I looked at it, and I thought my first thought was like, "Whoa, did Dave order like a crazy platter of thinly shaved gooey duck clam?" Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I was like, "Dave, what is that?" He was like. It's potato. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing. All they did on a slicer is just slice it like you would go to get deli meat at a grocery store. <laughs> and then just like drop it onto a plate and then put some flower petals on it. Five dollars. You could buy 
50, like 50 pounds. Yeah, actually, I bet you could buy a 50 pound bag of potatoes. <laughs> it's beautiful. This is why it's a fucking amazing business. And God bless hot pot restaurants. Um, anyway, uh, enough of our uh, Heidi Lau endeavor odyssey. Uh, let's get on to Kieran, our host for Chef vs. Wild on Hulu. Go check that out now. Streaming now. This episode is brought to you by Seed. Did you know that most green powders and probiotics don't survive digestion? Seed's DS01 Daily Symbiotic is engineered in a two-in-one capsule to safeguard viability through digestion for complete delivery to your colon. A broad-spectrum probiotic and prebiotic formulated with 24 clinically and scientifically studied strains for whole-body benefits, including gut, heart, and skin health. Visit seed.com slash Dave Chang and use the code 25DAVECHANG to start seeding today. That's code 25DAVECHANG to start seeding today. So you're you're calling from Nairobi. You are based in Nairobi. You are a chef restaurateur there. Can I just ask, how did you wind up in Kenya? I was born here. I'm a third generation Kenyan. So my grandfather is Indian. My mother is English. My grandfather came over here in the late 1800s. He was brought over with all the Indians who were brought over to do various infrastructure stuff. And uh, he never left. And uh, my dad was born here. I was born here. My mom and dad met. My mother's family, my grandfather came over to start schools. He was a mission, a missionary, maybe. And, uh, and so they, they've been in, actually in Uganda since 1945. And then very much a, sort of a product of colonialism, to be honest. And yeah, you know, Kenya is home. So that's it. I traveled, went away, chefed all over the world, but eventually came back. When we reached out to you, about hosting the show, what what went through your mind? I mean, seemed like a crazy idea, but like you've you've produced shows yourself, so you know. I'm going to be very very honest with you. We had developed a very similar idea here internally. We're like, the next thing to do is take chefs out of their comfort zones, stick them in the wild. Ours was sort of African based. We put them in the African wilderness, and you know there were there were there were distinct differences for sure. But a lot of like, the, the, I suppose the DNA of the entire idea was very similar. You know, when I was approached, I was like, wow, that's, that's cool. And I was like, I mean, I was so, I, it didn't need to be sold because I'd sold myself on, on the concept, you know, way before. And I mean, the, the way you guys had spun it was, was different. There were a few things I really liked about it. And, and so I was just very excited to be, to be given the opportunity. I was sold immediately. Well, Kieran, if there's uh, hopefully multiple seasons, we could be potentially bringing it to your hometown. That'd be awesome. I mean, I think there's a lot of potential all over the world for this. If you were going to host it, would it be in Kenya? Because there's mountains, there's multi-climate. I, I you know, I, I'm not sure. I think the sort of East African region and the Southern African region, you've got a lot of opportunities. And so I, I would really research uh, the, the issue that we have here in these parts of the world. Is a lot of the areas which the biodiversity is very looked after. They're kind of national parks as well. And there are a lot of very dangerous things in those national parks. Like you will be like, you'll come across elephant, lion, rhino, buffalo, like multitudes of different kinds of snakes that can kill you. Uh, There's a lot of stuff out here that can do a lot of people, a lot of damage. And that's one of the safety things you'd have to kind of get your head around is where (laughs) can we find a really sort of beautiful area with rich biodiversity great foraging opportunities where you're not going to get like trampled on by a, by an elephant or, you know, 
eaten by a leopard. So um, does getting eaten by a leopard happen quite a bit? Very rarely, very rarely. But you know, you don't <laughs> want anyone having encounters with them. Very, very, very rare. It happens more in India, actually. You have more issues, more sort of human wildlife conflict with leopard in India for whatever reason than you do in Africa. But we have issues with things like, you know, buffaloes and hippos and things like that. They're just like big, angry, big, angry animals that you just don't want to get in their way. And that's quite more frequent, I would say, for sure. In some of the very remote areas, you get beak, like guys who have wild bees get eaten by lions occasionally because, you know, that does happen. But it's, it's very rare. Very rare. I've been trying to explain the show to friends and those that have watched the first couple episodes already on Hulu. They've already expressed to me doubt that it is what it seems, that they think that a lot of it's planted, that it's scripted. <laughs> that the conditions weren't as bad. A lot of editing was involved. Yes, we have editing, but can you let people know, like in terms of the difficulty level here, what had to be done? Yeah, I think what you should do is round all of those people up and we'll just take them out for a few days and then just let them experience, you know, um, the, the conditions weren't that bad or whatever. It was hard work. I mean, remember this is October, November, December in British Columbia, first of all. All they need to do is look at a weather chart. You can't fake that. Um, and, you know, the production team were extremely diligent about making sure what Steve, you know, Steve Rankin, the showrunner, who's just a phenomenal human being, a great TV maker, was so protective over the survival bubble, what he called the survival bubble. We don't break the survival bubble ever. And that means that at no point do these people ever feel like they're getting any outside assistance, you know, at all. Producers have to be at absolute arm's length. Everyone is just away from them and they do their thing and we observe what they do. And that was, the, the integrity of that was kept throughout the whole show. They didn't get food. They didn't get water. They had to make their own fire. And if they didn't, they would have been in trouble. And so along with having to forage, they had to feed themselves. They had to try and, you know, like they, they, would, they would be trying to make decisions. Here's a big pile of delicious matsutake mushrooms that I am starving, but I'm going to keep them for my cook. This is how stupid chefs can be. I'm going to keep them for my cook um, and starve myself at the same time. You know, that's the, the, the sort of the anatomy of all the, you know, the, the, the mindset of the chef. Anyone who you speak to, I speak to, or who listens needs to understand that these guys were really put through it. And the survival bubble was totally kept. It was, its integrity was always kept. And so what you see is what you get. There's a lot of editing, of course, because it's, it's four days worth of foraging condensed into about 25 minutes. Of course, you have to edit it. Um, but they were really put through their paces. And when they came into the kitchen after their, their time out there, they were all notably worn down emotionally and physically. All of them had been through some sort of life-changing experience while they were out there. They all came back with a newfound respect for food, for the environment, for nature. They'd found out things about themselves, for their families, whatever it was. They all had these sorts of moments where they were absolutely like, okay, this has changed me. Um, one of the things that I took a lot of pleasure in and a lot of time, and uh, I hope when season two happens, or if it happens, knock on wood, that I, I will get to be there was planning out the kitchen that we built out so the chefs could yeah. cook. And we wanted it to be a celebration, right? For a lot of people that haven't cooked professionally, when you see a beautiful kitchen, it doesn't have to be fancy, but well laid out, well organized, well paced. 
it's a lot like seeing a beautiful car or a beautiful piece of art or something like that. We wanted it to be a reward for getting to the end goal, which, you know, ironically enough, is just the start of the challenge. How how was it? Because I was unable to see it in person, but man, we spent a lot of time sketching that one out. No, no, no. It was beautiful. It really was. It had everything you needed as a professional to create incredible food. You know, there was no electricity. I think it's something that people, viewers need to really understand is that these guys were out in the bush and then they came into a kitchen and they had to cook with no, no modern conveniences, no thermomixes, none of that nonsense, just straight up elbow, elbow grease and fire. You know, it was the best fire cooking kitchen I've ever seen. I, I have cooked outdoors a lot in my life and, and built many kitchens, and it, but it just had all, every element of fire cooking you required, all tools were there. And, you know, after, it's an inspiring environment to, to cook in because, you know, you're out in the bush for four days, you've been starved, beaten up, you know, this, that, and the other, and you come into this sort of kitchen oasis and they were all eyes wide open when they saw it. They were so, and it kind of gave them that, the energy that they needed to get through a, a four hour cook, you know, because they just, they were, they're all exhausted. And then you've got to go and like put, you know, what it's like cooking in a kitchen and you've got the, you know, the adrenaline and the, you know, and, and on top of that, you've got someone like me judging you and cameras all over you. So the pressure is extremely intense. So in order to get through that, they, they needed that sort of adrenaline boost. And that kitchen just gave them a big leg up. Just quickly, do you have any tips for cooking outdoors over wood? Um, you know, it's, 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 it's the obvious stuff, you know, it's choose the right wood and understand how to, how to manage your fire, you know, depending on what you'll manage your heat. And that's, it sounds like a, it, it's one of those things you can't really, you've got to practice it. You've got to, it's like a very tactile thing. You know, fire is alive the whole time. I mean, it's, you know, if you can't control heat, you can't cook simple. You can't cook accurately. We all have these wonderful toys in our kitchens, whether they're domestic or, or, you know, commercial, where you can like, you know, this point, that degree with that humidity and blah, blah, blah. And off you go. And you've got this sort of precision cooking, make amazing food. You get into a fire-based kitchen, you can't, you don't have a, a dial. You've got to figure that out with your hands. Put your hand next to the fire. Is that hot enough? Is it like, it's, it's very tactile and you've got to have instinct. And, and you know, that's, that, that doesn't come overnight. I mean, I wish the show could be, you know, three hours longer because they would see a lot more of the difficulty. If somebody wants to boil a pot of water, you have four hours. That's you lose an hour at least getting the fire started, right? Well, I mean, all of them, they would get in the kitchen. One person's immediate job was get all the fire going. Another person starts the mise en place, starts to prep, does what they do. But, you know, he's often survivalist was just managing fire the whole time. Just like that's going low, that get that up, that's too hot, bring it down, pull the log out. Oh, my God, you know, you're pulling logs in and out of the fire, you're getting smoke and ash all over you. It's intense. You, you know, it's, it's an intense environment. You know what it's like when you're sitting on a campfire and you get that sort of waft of smoke in your eyes and you're just like, you're out of the game for 30 seconds because you're like, oh my God, oh my God. Now imagine that continuously for four hours, with your head stuck in a fire, trying to cook accurately, plus cameras, plus, 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 plus. It's a very difficult environment to cook in. So when you see the food that these chefs have produced, you have to give them, give them the respect that they're due because they worked very hard in a very intense kitchen with you know, quite basic equipment to create incredible food. You know, we, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but if you if you were going to have the final decision about where we should go for, you know, theoretical potential season two, 
where would we go and what season would you want it to be in? If I was, if you just asked me to make the decision, I would say, and this is just from my, you know, I've traveled a lot in my life. I've been very fortunate. I would send you straight to New Zealand. Now, whether that's a practical thing to do or not, that is a country with incredible natural beauty and amazing foraging opportunities. The way that the, the Kiwis have preserved their natural habitats, uh, the, it's a great place. I mean, I went, I went diving in some fjords, you know, just sort of not, not scuba, but free diving in some fjords there a while ago. And, you know, you're like three, four meters of water, you're plucking lobsters this size off the rock in no time, abalone. Like, you know, it's just like, it's just paradise. Um, inland, there's all sorts of foraging. So that's where I would send anyone. But that's just from a personal experience, having been to a place. That's South really Island rich. or North? No, North or South, South Island? Island. Which South Island? Island? South Island. South Island. Right down near a place called Dusky Sound. It's quite remote. You know, the only way to get there is by chopper or boat. Dusky Sound's the southernmost sound uh, in, in, in New Zealand. I think it's the next stop is Antarctica or whatever it is. So um, somewhere down there. That's, that's a pretty awesome place. Belisa, Rob, Craig, if you're listening, just just throwing that out there. <laughs> South Island of New Zealand, season two. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let's, let's, let's set up shop there. Um, I want to talk about one aspect uh, of where you're from, where you live, where you, what you cook, because I think it's important to put it more on the, 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 the center world stage. A lot of people may not know the foods of Africa, even though people talk about it. Extremely diverse very underappreciated, but like myself, I'm not familiar with the foods of Kenya and Nairobi. I've never been there. I hope to be there soon. I hope you can take me out. You are more than welcome anytime. I'd love that. I'd love that. My, my wife and I will love to go. Um, you know, all of Africa is extremely diverse, but what is, how would you distinguish the foods of Kenya? Well, I mean, we're, uh, if you look at on a map, the Horn of Africa, it's the east of Africa, that's where we're located. And it's sort of very historically important because it was a link between the Middle East and Africa. I mean, it's got a very dark past with the slave trade and all that. You know, one of the first slave trading ports of the world was a place called Lamu. I think it was the first. So there's a massive link between Asia and the Middle East and East Africa, and then links with, with Europe and, and, and the West. There's a huge influence here of Arab, Indian, Bantu African, and they all, all sort of, they've all come together to create the culture here, not just the food. Uh, Swahili culture, as we call it. So I think Swahili food, which is particularly influenced by Indians and Arabs and the African altogether, is a fantastic cuisine. It's very, lots of like coconut, chili, ginger, that kind of vibe going on. So you kind of get the, 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 the influences from, from the East, but then all put through the local ingredients that you get here. Uh, a very simple example is a, is a, a thing called Mbazi with, with Morgo, which is Mbazi is like a pigeon pea cooked in coconut with ginger and, and tomato with a little bit of coriander and cumin. And then they, they, they put cassava in it, which is a, a root. I think what was it called? Uh, manioc in other in other parts of the world. Manioc flour, manioc. Yep. yeah, exactly similar to manioc. Very hearty, delicious, fragrant. You know, that's that's a, a dish that gives you an example of um, of, of maybe how the, how that kind of cuisine works. They love barbecued meat out here. They absolutely barbecued goat. Like if you're a goat, you've, you've had it in this part of the world. Um, <laughs> so you know they call it they call it nyamachoma. Nyamachoma is just good old barbecued goat, and they'll serve it with a thing called ugali, which is a like a white polenta. That's the staple food of Kenya. 
it's just like polenta, but just with a white maize as opposed to a yellow maize. It's very tasty, you know, if, if prepared nicely. You can grill it, you can fry it, you can do all the things you do with polenta. So that's a very typical sort of Kenyan meal, nyamachoma and ugali, which nyamachoma means burnt meat or barbecued meat with, with ugali. And they have some nice salads and uh, sauteed kale. So, you know, it's it's definitely got its own vibe out here. It is, it is delicious. Um, my personal sort of, I'm half Indian, my personal sort of cooking style is using all the incredible local ingredients. We have fantastic produce here, world-class produce here. And I just sort of take all this local produce and put my type, my spin on it, which is sort of Euro Mediterranean Indian fusion. That's how I personally cook. That's what you'd eat in my, in my restaurants. Um, so, but that's just, that's me. It's not, okay. But look, it's a fantastic location. The best safari you'll ever have. All that stuff you see on National Geographic with, all the zebras and the gnus jumping in the, you know, in the rivers and getting eaten, that all that stuff. That's, you know, three hours from my house. That's where we, that's Kenya. It's a very, very special wow. part of the world. I, I feel very privileged to have grown up here because I, I it's a multicultural society um, because it's a hub and I've been exposed to all sorts of people all my life. It's kind of shaped me and helped me in life to be very understanding of religions and cultures, but also more importantly from, from my trade and my craft understanding the food of these people of these different cultures and that uh, that for me is the greatest teaching in the in the kitchen you know we can go to culinary school all day long and learn all the techniques but if you want to understand really how people cook you need to go to the markets to the grandma's house to the you know to people's homes to that sort of thing and i think you get your get best teachings from these places beautiful you made a show about regional indian cooking the spirit of traveler how how does Indian food sort of blend in with Kenya? Uh, you know, it's like, because like I have an understanding of, say, how Indian food influenced the Caribbean, but how has it influenced, you know, 2022 food? I mean, it, it's significant here. It's significant. Indian, the, 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 there's a big community of Indians in, in East Africa. Their food has influenced, I mean, you know, you you can go down like uh, to very typical street food um, option in Kenya. Very simple is just a, is what they call a chapati. Now, actually, what a chapati or a, a local Kenyan chapati is not a not a chapati because a, a chapati in India is a sort of more baked roti type thing. It's more like a paratha, what the Indians would call a paratha, but it's been completely adopted as Kenyan food because they're they're delicious, they're easy, they're quick, they're cheap. It's a great sort of staple street thing and then people put different things in them there's a thing here called roll eggs roll eggs so you get a chapati fry two eggs so they're kind of flat and then you break the yolks and spread the yolk a little bit so it's not quite an omelet just a sort of cracked egg flip it over still sort of medium in the middle not fully cooked through put it on your chapati roll it up and you've got eggs rolled up in a chapati and it's a typical kenyan street food called roll eggs you know, it's simple and people eat them all over you know a dollar and you've got a great sort of healthy, delicious, you know, snack. I love that. You know, when I was filming our Netflix show and we went to India, I, I had been waiting to go because I wanted to see it and taste it and see the spice trade. It just was life-changing to see. I was like, wow. And in some way, everybody eats Indian food, you know, at least with black pepper, you know, it's pretty wild to think about. It's, it's, you know, India is a life experience. It's not a trip. It's not a holiday. It's not anything. It is a complete, I mean, I was so lucky to film that series there. We did like 15 locations. I went all over the place. I went to parts of India. Most Indians don't get to go to. I saw things that were just 
she asked my eyes were just my, my eyes were like like that the whole time just so so wide open um a couple more things before i let you go you travel a lot as a tv host or otherwise where do you want to go next in your travels really very honestly because i've never been and i'm just completely fascinated with japan I really want to go to Japan, whether it's personally for personally over to you. And, and I've just not done it ever. I've never been there. One place that somehow has escaped me and I'm desperate to go and just, but I really want to go and explore properly because I mean, what, what do you need to say about Japanese food other than, it, you know, everything that, you, that I know about it, that I've researched, that I've eaten, it just fascinates me completely. And I think that's, I think you haven't lived unless you've done that in my opinion. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to, to live there, work there. And I will, assure you that it is going to blow you away nothing nothing like it in this world and and it's i i i don't joke i say it's like the library of alexandria for food they just taking from everywhere and preserving and slowly putting their footprints on it it's a beautiful thing too it's so good maybe uh we need to pitch a show for you to get to japan <laughs> that would be good i'm i am all over that man like i would go oh my god i just i think the 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 level of detail they go to is unlike and look i'm just talking as somebody's researched and a bit you know a bit of an outsider but i know a little bit about the industry but i think the level of detail to which and passion and detail everyone has passion but it's a type of passion i think it's an obsession maybe this obsession with 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 perfection that's very Japanese. Um, they think they call it shokunin, I think is the, is the, the phrase. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, this sort of, I think, I hope I'm getting that right. And that really, like, uh, that really fascinates me. Like, it really, it really completely. So, I, I, yeah, uh, you, you can come up with a show that sends me to Japan to explore that. I'm all over it, man. Great. I'll give you one sort of insight that I always think about to, for Japanese perfection, the shokunin pursuit. There's a restaurant where they have all of their fish in tanks and labeled off for the guest that's eating that night or that, yeah, later that night, this is early in the morning. And when they process the fish, they come, they do ikijime, but they're not doing it all at once. They're doing it to time it to the proper course that they're going to eat this fish in. And I was like, Oh my God, that's on a whole nother level of, it's it's insane. It's it's just different kinds of fish for different kinds of courses with different kinds of slaughtering and killing of that fish. I was like, there's just nobody, nobody can do this. This is just insane. And then they know, they know the course that it's going to be in the time. Yeah. It's like, okay, this is going to be best. This fish will be best at 8.30 PM for this person that's dining tonight. Unbelievable. So I'm excited for you to get there. You, and and clearly you love fishing. What do you like to catch? You already talked about oh. diving for lobsters. I, I, I mean, anything, man. If I'm if I'm out foraging fish, like literally anything, I will. God, man, like I am an absolute fanatic when it comes to fishing. Like I will spend my life doing it. I am in any type, shape, like wh- whatever. I don't care, man. Like whatever it is, if I'm like harvesting some sort of something, <laughs> I just I love it, man. I absolutely love it. Oh, I can't get enough of it. You know, it's something so primal when you. When you and I don't trophy hunt or fish, I don't, I'm not interested in that. I, I'm like, if you're gonna if you're gonna kill something, if you're gonna take something from the land, you must process it and you must eat it. That's your responsibility. There's no we don't do like I'm not into any of the other stuff. So if I'm out there catching stuff, it's so that I can put something on a plate and I'm going through the whole process the whole time. I'm like, 
okay, if I get this, I can do that. If I can get this, I can do that. Oh, that, I can make that, you know, and that's kind of it. So it, there's another layer to it with, when I'm when I'm into it. And I'm sort of, oh, God, I'm completely obsessed by it. I get so excited just thinking about it. I'm Amazing. I'm fishing now. Yeah, I really love it. Really, love I think it. that's another TV show idea. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah, yeah, man. Like, you catch it, I'll cook it. There you go. That's the name of the show. You catch it, I cook it. We got it. We got two good show ideas out of this. This is very good. We should do this more often, David. Yes, sir. I mean, it's a it's a real honor that you, you uh, were part of this the season and the production of it. Um, I can't imagine anyone else doing it. So, thank you, thank you, Kieran. Uh, I, it's been a blast. I hope to meet you in person uh, in the near future, and and we will sh- will definitely work on some of these ideas that we just spoke about. I'm no no joke there. So yeah, uh, thank you, man. It, it's such a it's such a pleasure to meet you, and thank you, thank thank you, and everybody for for kind of like uh, giving me the opportunity, and you know all the people I worked with were just fantastic. I really you know it was a, a wonderful time in my life, and I and I'm I'm very appreciative of it. So let's hope it's successful, and we can make more and do lots of cool stuff. You know that that would be. I think I think it deserves it. You know, in my opinion, a lot of people put a lot of hard work too. into this, and it deserves it does deserves to see more and more. And I think we can improve it as well. So that's also cool. You know, we can also yes. refine it and make it better. And so that's nice. That's that's a big thing. Is when you do a, a show like this for the first time, no one's ever done it before. You know, there's there's a lot of opportunity to make it better. So um, looking yeah, forward to the opportunity for season two. Absolutely. I'll tell you a funny story before we go. When I was, I, I was over in New York a few years ago, uh, my agents, uh, Ed Gersh were, and, and my agent, Jason, he always like sends me a little list, list of restaurants to go and check out while I'm, you know, on these trips. And one of them was Momofuku Sanba. So I was like, this is way back. Oh, man. So, yeah. So I, I, I kind of, I went in, I wanted in, and I walked in and I, and, you know, I like, got to try this restaurant. It's awesome. And, and I go. And I used to run, uh, I used to live in Dublin. I used to, uh, and I was a, a head chef at a hotel there. There was a, a buddy of mine who, my housemate actually, his girlfriend used to be a manageress of a of a, an Italian restaurant in Dublin. And I walk into Momofuku's Asambar and she's the manager of, of, of that Sarah. restaurant. Her name was Sarah. It's Yes. Yeah. Does she, does she ah, still amazing. work for you by any chance? Oh, she doesn't. Uh, she's a... Uh... She's moved on to a couple other places, but we were introduced through Trevor and and um, Fergus Henderson, Trevor Gulliver and Fergus at uh, St. John. So it's all still part of the family. You know, she's she's got a beautiful son yeah, yeah, right yeah. now. And uh, her husband, uh, Nick, is the chef at the Four Horsemen, uh, James Murphy. And yeah. It's awesome, uh, man. You go. Small world. Yeah, well, it's funny old story. I walked in and I'm like, what? That's incredible. And I was like, I had such a lovely meal, man. I mean, the food is outstanding. So, you know, we all know you're, you're, you're amazing at that. And so it was just a funny story. I thought I'd tell you. And, and if you ever speak to her, I don't have a contact. I've lost touch with her. But if you ever do have contact with her, just say hi from me. Because it's a, it is a very small world. I'm going to loop you guys in on an email. Yeah, do that, please. That'd be awesome. That's hilarious. Okay, brilliant. <laughs> All right, man. Well, we're definitely going to have to pitch a couple new ideas with Kieran, uh, whether it's a show to Japan or a fishing hunting show, because I think we know exactly who we want to be to do these shows. And, and we're going to, no joke, 
work with Kieran and his team to figure out how we can get that out there into the world. But in the meantime, again, go check out Chef vs. Wild, where he is the host, the fantastic host of our new show on Hulu. And check out the other show that we just released, Best in Dough. We'll talk to you guys next week. <laughs>